The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The name of the game is to convince someone not to report. So nothing you do in terms of how you prosecute is going to matter until we stop this practice. As long as you keep saying, you really shouldn't do this, it's not a crime, it's just a human relations issue, saying that we have a new office to litigate the reported harassment is not going to happen. Um, I mentioned at the top, you know, almost 4,000 cadets and midshipmen, we estimate, had been sexually harassed. There were about 40 reports at the academies, 40 reports. And nothing in the report actually shows that anything actually happened for those 40 reports. You have to imagine how terrible it was for 40 people out of 4,000 to come forward and complain, right? And not one action was taken, at least not according to the report. I'm Catherine Pompilio, Associate Editor of Lawfare, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, April 25th, 2023. April is Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month. It's a time recognized by civilian and U.S. military communities intended to promote the prevention of sexual violence, especially in U.S. Armed Forces. In light of Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month, I sat down with author and attorney Ashley Merriman, who previously served at the Pentagon as Special Advisor for the Department of the Navy's Sexual Assault Prevention and Response Office. We discussed the prevalence of sexual assault and harassment at U.S. military academies, the dangerous shortcomings of the Pentagon's lowest-level policy to address sexual harassment, how the policy came to be and why it persists, and policy recommendations for the future. It's the Lawfare Podcast, April 25th. Ashley Merriman on the dangerous cycle of Pentagon sexual harassment policy. So before we get started, could you just talk a little bit about who you are, what you do, your experience in government, all that? Sure. So with my friend Poe Bronson, I've written two New York Times bestsellers, Nurture Shock, which is sort of the cutting edge science of kids. And then we had a second book, Top Dog, The Science of Winning. And that's really a book about the science of performing under pressure and I think of myself as being an expert in what do we need to do to help people succeed and thrive? And what are the things that are in our way that we can change or not change? And how do we deal with that? Um, and having written those two books, and especially Top Dog, um, I was brought in in 2018 to be the special advisor on diversity and inclusion for the chief of naval operations, who at the time was Admiral John Richardson. 
And after that, I spent about a year as a special advisor in the Department of the Navy's Sexual Assault and Prevention Office. And um, and now I'm back to writing. And I'm very excited that I have a piece with you, you guys at Lawfare today. And I'm working on a newsletter and other things as I'm developing a new book idea. I love that. Yeah. So we're here because today when we're recording this, you published a piece on Lawfare entitled The Dangerous Cycle of Pentagon Sexual Assault and Harassment Lowest Level Policy. Listeners, I would heavily encourage you to go check that out on our website. Before we dive into kind of the meat of the article, could you talk a little bit about why you decided to write this piece? Uh, Well, two reasons. One is I'm always wanting to talk about this specific policy and things that I think are actionable things that we can do to improve military sexual assault and military sexual harassment's response. And and really, I'm focused on prevention. There's a lot of conversations in terms of enforcement and litigation, other kinds of adjudication. Um, I should have mentioned at the top, I'm a lawyer, but I actually think there hasn't been enough conversation about prevention. So I'm always wanting to talk about those things, generally speaking, Uh, But the catalyst for the specifics piece was that on March 10th, the DOD announced the results of a annual report on military sexual assault and harassment that occurs specifically at the military academies. And that is a particular population that I think is crucial for us to talk about in two ways. One is we're talking about 18 to 22-year-olds, young vulnerable population and the sexual harassment, sexual assault can, you know, change someone's life at any age, but really at that age. Um, And we're also talking about the future military leaders. So what is the experience and things that they're having when they're being taught to be leaders? Because I presume that's going to have to impact when they're actually downrange in the fleet or in the Pentagon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I kind of want to get into that report a little bit. What were the biggest takeaways from it? What does it include or say? No good news, really. In fact, it was sort of shocking. So every couple of years, there's not just a report on the actual formal reports, you know, how many people actually sat down, filled out a form, an investigation was taken, and so on. Uh, But they also do a survey to sort of assess the true prevalence. Because we know in any circumstance the reporting is just a fraction of what actually happens. And the research has um, found that both sexual assault and sexual harassment academies are basically at historic levels. Um, There were almost 4,000 cadets and midshipmen who reported having experienced sexual harassment in a specific academic year. So that's more than 20%, it's about 26%, I think, of all of the female cadets and midshipmen, and I think it's around 8% for the males. So it's ubiquitous. In fact, I was completely stunned. Uh, The DOD's own analysis concluded at academy units, there is more sexual harassment going on than there is at 95% of all military units around the world. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the sexual assault has also been at historic levels. And one of the other things that I think is just the high note to focus on, because, you know, certainly there are programs at all of the academies and they've been working on these issues for decades at this point. But to me, one of the most worrisome things besides the numbers trending up was that confidence in academy leadership to deal with these issues was going down 
which is another reason I wanted to write the article that we published today. Yeah. So we'll get into all of that. You write in the article that these numbers are absolutely staggering. And you write that this should come as no surprise since Defense Department policy discourages the formal reporting of sexual harassment. What exactly is Defense Department policy? So the policy and this has actually started coming into effect in the 1990s. This is not a new policy. The policy is that you know sexual harassment and sexual assault are both bad, heinous, scourge, all of those words we've heard all the time. But they consider the sexual harassment to be a, quote, human relations, quote, problem. Meaning that sexual assault should be reported because it's a crime. But sexual harassment is really, it's a communications problem. It's a couple of people just having a misunderstanding. And because of that, almost all sexual harassment policies, including the ones back at the academies, should be resolved, quote, at the lowest appropriate level. And what that means is that ideally, the target of sexual harassment should confront the harasser and tell the harasser to stop. And they, um, and they even coach you on the informal resolution process of how to confront your offender. Um, one of the Navy policies specifically says, you know, use politeness and courtesy when you're talking to your alleged offender. Consider writing things down before you actually do. So you prepare your statement. So the goal is to have it be at the lowest level meaning actually the perpetrator and the target. And if that doesn't work, then, you know, one or two people up, you know, your immediate supervisor. But it's important to note here that there's a not insubstantial number of harassers who outrank the targets and including not all of them, but including some supervisors. So you're having usually very young sailors very young soldiers being told that they need to directly confront the person who outranks them. So since 1993, when there was a first assessment made by the Navy, um, this policy does not work because of that very reason. The young targets of harassment are afraid to confront those who are older and more senior in rank. The military has always known this policy doesn't work. So this, I think, is the best example. In, um, in the 1990s, right when they were first implementing it, the Navy came up with this idea that they were going to measure severity of sexual harassment in a red, yellow, green light behavior, right? So green light means go, yellow, danger, red, stop. And so they have this pamphlet that actually describes different types of behavior, says if it's red light or yellow light or green light. And the pamphlet is actually written where there's one page. If you're the target of this happening, here's what to do. If you're the bystander watching this happening, here's what to do. If you're the supervisor, here's what to do. If you're the perpetrator, that's not the word they use. But if they say, if you're the person doing this behavior, here's what to do. And lowest level for the victim and the bystander and the supervisor can you resolve this at the lowest level? I mean, if they say no and insist on formal reporting, that's okay. But really, is there an alternative? In fact, the conclusion of the pamphlet even describes the informal resolution process 
Success of that depends on you. Wow. The perpetrator page says, stop doing the offending behavior, call your lawyer or other legal representative. Unreal. <laughs> I'm actually speechless at that. <laughs> I mean, I, it, it, it's, it, it's hard to find the, the pamphlet. Um, I've got screenshots if, um, if anybody needs to see them. Um, there's some copies of it in Google Books. But yeah, so victims, supervisors need to, whenever possible, informal resolution but if you're a perpetrator, you better call your lawyer. And so just to be super clear, so, so mm-hmm. say something horrendous happens and a victim decides to report it. How would yes. they go about that? Are they expected to confront these harassers independently, like completely by themselves? Or Yes. Wow. I mean, there, there are some versions of it where they say, you know, they don't use in the, poli- in the actual instructions and policies, they don't say bring a buddy. But yeah. sometimes, you know, there are versions that say bring a buddy and in the informal conversations, you know, you can ask a friend to help you or a friend to communicate this to you. But the idea is that supervisors should not be involved and there should be no record and there should be no investigation. Everything should just be handled in this informal conversational way, which is a mess Because the formal policies also say that sexual harassment, there's zero tolerance and it must be addressed. So you have this fundamental conflict between the two. And what's also interesting and important to note is sexual assault is considered an actual crime. Now, by the way, sexual harassment is a crime in the military. You can be prosecuted depending on the facts of the case under at least 15 different articles of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And that was before they added a crime of sexual harassment a few months ago. Since the late 1980s, DOD leadership have said you can prosecute sexual harassment as a crime, and it has been done, right? So on the one hand, you have informal resolution, just tell the person, knock it off, And on the other hand, you have sexual harassment as a crime and you can be court-martialed and thrown in the brig. And to me, that's where this policy starts becoming completely insane, right? What other crime do you say the victim is responsible? You know, if, if someone stole your car, do the police say, well, just, you know, go steal it back and remember to be too polite when you say, please don't steal my car again. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but but that's the case. Um, but so in practice, the kids, this gets really confusing, right? Because the training and the definitions for what sexual assault is and what sexual harassment are actually overlap, right? So sometimes sexual harassment is just described as unwanted sexual contact. Someone grabs you, someone hugs you, someone touches you. And then in the next breath, we hear sexual assault is unwanted physical contact. So you get this difficulty where people literally don't know if they've been assaulted or harassed. And they might try and report a harassment and say, or or they might try and report a particular incident. And someone in one office will say, no, that was sexual harassment. You should go tell him to stop. And literally dissuade them from making a report. And that same person could go to another office, say exactly what happened. They'd say, oh my gosh, that's sexual assault. Here are your pamphlets for being a victim. We're going to go call 
the police and the local law enforcement. So it's unenforceable and it gets really confusing as to when it's sexual harassment and when it's sexual assault. Yeah. And I, I would imagine that, that some people would kind of get the definitions of harassment and assault confused and that would cause them not to report it because of lowest level policy, which just kind of, I feel like perpetuates that cycle. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. Um, people, you know, they don't want to report this, right? I mean, there aren't any exact studies on point in a military population, but in civilian populations, when they've looked at, say, someone coming to your boss and saying, I've been sexually harassed, no one wants to do that, right? So can you imagine you finally get the nerve up to tell someone that this has happened and their response is, well, what did you do about it? Did you go talk to them? You should go talk to them. And, I, you know, do you really want to? I mean, I can file a report if you want. I mean, you know, that person's about to be transferred to another post. This is going to hold them back. And now they'll be working with you for another six to 12 months. And I don't know how this is going to impact your career. But if you want, I can do that. But have you just really tried to talk and resolve this on your own? That's how this works. And all of the conversations last year in the National Defense Authorization Act in terms of reforming the military justice system, there's definitely a lot of room for military justice reform. But in this particular case, the name of the game is to convince someone not to report. So nothing you do in terms of how you prosecute is going to matter until we stop this practice. As long as you keep saying, you really shouldn't do this. It's not a crime. It's just a human relations issue. Saying that we have a new office to litigate the reported harassment is not going to happen. Um, I mentioned at the top, you know, almost 4,000 cadets and midshipmen, we estimate, had been sexually harassed. There were about 40 reports at the academies. 40 reports. And nothing in the report actually shows that anything actually happens for those 40 reports. You have to imagine how terrible it was for 40 people out of 4,000 to come forward and complain, right? And not one action was taken, at least not according to the report. Yeah. I So I guess what I'm struggling to understand is the fact that Perpetrators of sexual harassment can be charged with the crime under at mm -hmm. least 15 articles of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So mm -hmm. how is it that this policy persists when it seems to be in direct contradiction to both the old and the revised versions of the UCMJ? That's a really good question. I think it's because they've stuck on this idea that sexual harassment is just a human relations issue. Um, another one of the Navy instructions says that after you've done the informal resolution where the target is talking to the harasser, they want both the harasser and the target to have improved their communication skills. So it's actually really in the instruction that we think the reason you think you were harassed is because you're just oversensitive and you can't take a joke. So you need to learn new com communication skills along with the person who actually harassed you. So I just don't think people have actually thought about, A, they haven't thought about how it's unworkable, that people can't tell if it's harassment or sexual assault. Um, a lot of it is just, you know, people are being overly sensitive. And 
they haven't figured out a way to reconcile that belief, which they started promulgating in the 1990s, with where social science research, DOD zone research have found that this is just not the case. And why this is really important, again, as I mentioned, I'm focused on prevention. Research shows that not all harassers sexually assault, but almost all sexual assaulters have harassed. And so if I successfully did confront my harasser, said, stop it, they might stop for me, but they're going to move on to somebody else because they're using harassment as a way to identify future victims. So this bifurcation of sexual assault versus sexual harassment isn't where any of the research is. It's not where the people are. And we're missing this huge opportunity because we could maybe identify a potential perpetrator through their sexual harassment and get them because sexual harassment is a crime, right? And sexual harassment is a specific crime. It's cruelty and maltreatment and abuse of power and conduct unbecoming, right? We could prosecute them or for those things and not wait for them to escalate into assault. So even if the informal resolution happened in the moment it worked, it doesn't actually change and improve the situation for the military as a whole. Yeah, that is scary. So let's say that somebody does get prosecuted for harassment. What are the possibilities of outcomes for perpetrators? Well, I mean, just like any other court martial, yeah. you know, they can lose benefits. Um, they could probably be um, sentenced to prison. But, uh, you know, those are going to be extreme cases. And the majority of these cases are not litigated at all. The majority of these cases aren't even leading to any sort of an investigation. That's the whole point of the informal resolution. Nothing happens, which is interesting because the Department of the Navy, so this would be Navy and the Marines, since the 1990s has actually had a provision that if commanding officers learn of a quid pro quo proposition for sexual harassment, right? I won't give you a promotion unless you have sex with me, or I will you know, give you a bad fitness report unless you have sex with me. Um, in situations like that, a couple other ones, and if the commanding officer has determined sexual harassment has occurred, in other words, they believe it, the commanding officer can immediately on their own without any further investigation initiate an administrative discharge. And in the cases of the quid pro quo, it's actually mandatory. The, mil- the, the commander must immediately separate someone who is quid pro quo sexual harassing. And I read that to, I read the instruction language to a room of about 300 last year's Joint Women's Leadership Symposium Conference, which is the largest conference for military women, and the room gasped. And no one seemed to have ever known that that was on the books for 30 years, right? So we can actually enforce sexual harassment and stop it, but the focus is almost always, you know, lowest level, tell them to stop. And it's really just, you know, come back when this is terrible, you know, come back when this is dangerous. We don't want to do anything before then. Yeah. So 
kind of connected to this, but in the piece, you you also mentioned that there was kind of this belief amongst service members that harassment was part of the military's culture um, mm-hmm. and that women accepted it kind of just as an as an inevitable part of military service. Mm-hmm. Could you just talk a little bit more about this? What does this mean and, and where does it come from? Um, well, I mentioned in the article as well, Tailhook, the infamous, the, the Tailhook scandal, which happened in 1991. Ultimately, an inspector general concluded that 83 women had been sexually assaulted and seven men at the at this conference. And the IG looked and found that some of the women had tried to report it and were literally told, quote, boys will be boys. And so there is there is idea, well, the military is a macho culture, the military is an abusive culture. And, you know, well, Guys get lonely while they're on deployment, so they're probably going to have, you know, you know, different girls in every port and every base, and you know, this, you know, they're just going to proposition and they're going to be, you know, nude photos posted in barracks, and that's just the way the military operates. And in the 1980s, um, there was a, a study done by Ann Sadler and colleagues, and the Gulf War female veterans actually considered rape a form of war wound. They say, well, I signed up for the military and I knew I was going to get hurt. So I got hurt. And that was actually part of their belief was that being harassed, being sexually assaulted was such a part of the military tradition that if they enlisted that meant they went going in accepting that it was going to happen and knowing that they basically, uh, to be a lawyerly on it, since this is lawfare, um, they came to the nuisance. They they put themselves in a situation where they knew it was going to happen. And and when it did, they, they accepted it. Um, happily, that mentality has um, dissipated over the past decades. But I, I've actually heard even in the past year or two, I, I've heard Um, similar comments from active duty military women. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, Lawfare listeners, Ben Wittes here. Want to tell you about the first time I got a report from the folks at Delete Me. It was shortly after I started using the service back in 2022, and they sent me their first privacy report. I have since gotten eight others. 
and it contains some shocking information. They had removed my data from 56 separate data brokers, that this had included 133 separate records, including 621 individual pieces of personal information. Uh, the data broker with the most information about me was a company I'd never heard of called People by Name. And here's the thing. Since then, every couple of months, I've gotten another privacy report from Delete Me, and it always contains more information that they have removed from the data brokers about me. In the second report, they informed me they had removed my stuff from 41 data brokers and that the one with the most information about me was called HLEC. I have no idea what HLEC is. So the other day, I got my latest report and it includes 15 more data brokers with my personal information, 113 pieces of personally identifiable information, Big culprit this time is something called my life. Well, I want to tell you that they don't have my life anymore. And that is why I recommend Delete Me. As this little anecdote shows, there's a lot of my data out there. And these companies keep acquiring it and making it available to anybody who can pay. And I have uh, slept a little bit more easily ever since I found a solution to this problem. And I want to stress, as I do every time, that I started using this before Delete Me started advertising with Lawfare. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays off. And that's the point of this little story, that you know they keep coming back. You can get it removed once, but they'll put it back. And then Delete Me comes and takes it off again. It's a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential identity theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports, just like the ones I've been describing, showing what info they found where, where they found it, and what they removed. And critically, as this story reflects, it isn't just a one-time service. It's always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you don't want on the internet. It does all the hard work of wiping you and your family's personal information off the web. Data brokers hate Delete Me, which is why I like it. Your profile is no longer theirs to sell. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com lawfare20 and use promo code lawfare20 at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com lawfare20 and enter code LAWFARE20 at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash LAWFARE20, code LAWFARE20. You mentioned Tailhook as kind of a, a clear turning point that shined a very unflattering spotlight on the, on the policy. I'm just frustrated that after multiple investigations into what happened, there was no change. Why? Well, there was change in the policy. The policy was... We didn't really have one. Well, I mean, that's not exactly true. I mean, it was ironic 
in um, the just months before the um, tail hook happened, the DOD announced that all of the services needed to have policies against sexual harassment. They needed to have training um, to identify sexual harassment. And yes, you can be court-martialed if you do it, so don't let people do it. Um, and then months later, tailhook happens. So tailhook was sort of fascinating because um, for a bunch of, well, a bunch of reasons, the scale of it, the fact that hundreds and hundreds of service members, um, mostly, na- it was a Naval Aviation Conference. So a lot of Naval Aviator, I mean, at a certain point, um, they actually concluded about 140 aviators had either perpetrated some form of, se- of sexual misconduct or had lied under oath during the investigation. And there was actually multiple investigations. The IG, the first IG report was rejected as basically burying things and um, misspeaking a little bit, but really I think that's what happened. And so they had a second IG investigation, which had you know, clearly said, yes, there was actual misconduct here. And when we're talking about 83 women and seven men being sexually assaulted, for some, the assault would have been someone pinched them as they walked by, which I would say was inappropriate, but I'm not, I'm not saying we need to throw someone in jail every time that happens. Probably just say that might be the knock it off, right? But there were also cases where uh, the service members were disrobed and forced to commit sexual acts and real serious sexual assault and undeniably as opposed to someone who might you know say oh you're overreacting about that pinch i still think the pinch is completely inappropriate but someone might say i'm overreacting the other stuff there's no argument so there were you know hundreds of reprimands people's careers ended um, even the secretary of the navy actually had to resign in, because of his handling. He wasn't at Tailhook, but how he handled the investigation actually ended up losing his career. But not one person was court-martialed. There was not one criminal case that came out of Tailhook, even though there were these absolutely indisputable sexual assaults that occurred. So it was this weird thing where Tailhook, on the one hand, in terms of the investigation and the prosecution, fell short. But the response to it and the publicity, I mean, this was front page news, off and on for years as the investigations kept going, meant that the military and especially the Navy, because that's the population who was at Tailhook, um, did create new policies, but they ended up not enforcing them. Right. That was the one, you know, one that I was talking about in terms of, you know, if you know, if you're a commander and you know sexual assault is happening under your watch, you can separate them. The lowest level, the promulgating the lowest level policy was an outgrowth of not just tailhook. Um, there were other sexual harassment scandals that were happening. There were um, at one point um, a uh, service member at one of the military academies was handcuffed. A female was handcuffed to um, her barracks uh, urinals. And they were taunting her and she, uh, and they took pictures of her handcuffed and she resigns and there's an investigation and the response is, well, she was smiling all the time. We didn't know she was actually thought she was 
being harassed or anything like that. And they asked the, the female, what happened? And she said, well, we were always taught in the academies not to let anybody make us upset. And we're just supposed to smile when everybody yells at us. So I was terrified, but I was taught that I'm not supposed to show it. So, um, so there were investigations and um, allegations before that, but Tailhook really sort of catalyzed the policies. But unfortunately, it did exactly the tension we have today, which is that there's a lowest level, we really want everything informal, and we're not going to actually prosecute. Are cadets and midshipmen and other service members outside of these DOD reports beginning to, to speak out about this? Is there kind of a cultural change going on or... Not in terms of the lowest level or sexual harassment as a whole. I guess both. If you want to touch on on that, uh, well, it's interesting. The most recent report, for, um, the sort of the sur- active duty equivalent in terms of the survey of you know true prevalence of sexual harassment and sexual assault for the active military. You know, this year is the academy, and that one did seem to have some indication that more women were complaining about sexual harassment. And the number one response in years past, say like 2018, the most common response, someone who did actually complain and say, this has happened, not necessarily to the level of I'm going to file a formal complaint, but they go to their supervisor, they go to someone and say, this is happening. The most common response a service member would hear was drop it, which is the lowest level, right? And or versions of it. And the willingness to tell some, you know, the, um, I, I think it's the willingness. I'm not really sure because the data doesn't explain this, but more survey participants said that someone did something when they were complaining. And fewer, uh, slightly fewer. I mean, it's still a hu- huge amount, but it wasn't the most common response was drop it. And I have a hunch that might be because that survey took uh, the difference between 2018 and the most recent one was Vanessa Gann's tragic murder. And I think that that may have said to both, I need to come forward because I might be in danger and may have reduced the person who's receiving that information's willingness to blow it off because they realize that there is a, a serious problem. Um, so that might be trending in the right direction, but there's not that much data on that. In terms of the lowest level, I, I, unfortunately, I think at this point, with a noteworthy exception of uh, Brian Blackmore, who's retired now, but was a Coast Guard prosecutor. And in 2014, he said that the lowest level policy, which applies in the Coast Guard as well as it does in the other services. And he said the policy is unworkable and confusing and hurts our efforts to combat this. But I haven't seen anybody do anything about this. And what's stunning to me about it, and I think at this point, because when I talk to people about it, you know, a, a lot of them are like, well, of course, it's supposed to be lowest level. That's how we handle personal disputes. We're supposed to handle personal disputes that way. If someone, you know, or if I'm living in barracks and someone takes my beer, I'm not supposed to go to the, you know, my commander and have a formal proceeding over who took my beer. I'm supposed to say, hey, buddy, don't take my beer, right? So that makes sense in that kind of context. And when I've asked people, 
hey, what do you think about this? They're like, well, that's, yeah, that's what we do, the lowest level. It's so baked in to the military's mindset about what sexual harassment and sexual assault are. They tweaked it a little bit in this new iteration of the survey. But in 2018, the definition of who actually was sexually harassed, and they don't say um, in these surveys anymore, have you been sexually harassed? Because they do occasionally, other entities have used that as measurement. It doesn't work. So the DOD surveys says, have any of these things happened to you? And, you know, shown porn, unwanted sexual contact, unwanted other physical contact, ask you for dates, ask you about your sex life, tell you about their sex life, you know, those kinds of things. And if you say yes, then the next part is, and did that behavior continue to persist after you told them to stop? It was only if you said, yes, these things happened, I told them to stop, it kept happening. That was the definition of sexual harassment. So just to be included as someone who's been a target, you actually have to have already confronted your perpetrator in that lowest level manner, which is nuts, right? I mean, that's just crazy, but that's the way, that's how baked this system is. But what's interesting to me and shocking, again, going back to the the academies, is in the off years when they're not doing the survey like they did this year, they send DOD researchers to do focus groups with the cadets at all at all um, at the Annapolis Air Force West Point uh, Merchant Marines and Coast Guards. All, they also their academies also have these focus groups on, and by name, when the researchers say, "Why didn't you report a sexual assault? Why didn't you report a sexual harassment?" The cadets and midshipmen answer because of the lowest level policy. They use these words. They say, I'm taught I have to res- handle this at the lowest level. If I don't do it at the lowest level, people will be mad because I hurt the perpetrator's career. And if I hurt the perpetrator's career, that's going to hurt my career because now everyone's going to hate me. Or if it's not at the lowest level, academy leadership, remember we talked at the beginning about the decline of faith in academy leadership that the survey reported. If I report my sexual harassment, I don't handle it at the lowest level, academy leadership will be mad at me because I generated bad publicity about the academy. So there's an awareness that this policy has real consequence, but What's stunning is people didn't read these reports and say, maybe we should rethink this policy. I I mean, Rand in 2001, Rand did a review of the literature and did all of the things Rand does. And Rand said, the lowest level policy reduces reporting of sexual harassment and probably sexual assault. The independent task force reviewing sexual assault said the lowest level impacts domestic violence reporting. It it means the things that were lowest level, we don't have any evidence or substantiation and whether or not that thing actually happened. Hmm. And, (laughs) And the GAO said there's a lowest level policy and that reduces reporting. Yeah. But none of them said so maybe we should stop the policy. So what are the broader implications of, of this on the armed forces and I guess even more broadly national security? 
Uh, well, first thing is we've been talking about sexual harassment and sexual assault, but the lowest level policy also relates to incidents of racial, ethnic, gender, religious, and or sexual orientation incidents of discrimination. Um, you're supposed to say lowest level, which again, I, I, I can't imagine any other circumstance when you would tell someone who's dealing with, you know, active in your face discrimination that you're responsible for fixing that. And I think that, you know, it, you know, the data is pretty clear that, you know, one of the reasons, and there's, you know, pulse surveys, the army survey, um, a DOD survey about a year ago, enlistment is a problem. And one of the reasons why people are not considering enlisting is because of incidents of racial and gender discrimination and sexual harassment, and sexual assault. So I think it, you know, it's hurting enlistment. Um, there's also research that shows that, you know, especially women who have been sexually harassed, but men as well, um, they leave the service. They don't do their full 20. And we're talking about tens of thousands of man hours lost in expertise and staffing because of these things. And in 2017, there was an analysis that was published in Joint Force Quarterly, and that author concluded, based on civilian economics, that $4.7 billion, 8% of the 2018 defense budget, ultimately was paying for the cost of a toxic work environment. From when you're talking about attrition, retention, poor performance, um, to all the way having the cost of actual um, court-martial. So 8% of the budget. When you have people on the Hill talking about inflation and a 4% increase, is that enough of a, you know, how much do we need to increase the budget for inflation? 8% is going to the damage that is being caused because the response is work it on your own. Don't come back until it's so terrible I have to actually call the cops. And I don't know anybody on the Hill would say that, you know, four or five billion every year doesn't add up, right? The old adage, (laughs) billion here, billion there. Well, you know, there is, there's real cost. And I also think there's reputational cost, not just for the young people considering enlisting, but, you know, around the world that, you know, our allies and our partners, you know, people, when we're asking them, can we station a base or um, some operations or have an agreement with you? Um, they know what's going on. They see those reports. So I think that it, it's absolutely essential that we get this in, in order. And what we're doing right now is just not working. Yeah. So before we move on to the kind of what now of this conversation, I just wanted to clarify. So you mentioned that you kind of touched on the intersectionality of the lowest level policy on racial and gender discrimination issues, as well as sexual harassment and assault. How does the policy compare to other violations, say, of uh, academic integrity? What happens if somebody like cheats on a test? Yeah, you you, you get kicked out. Yeah, um, and I, and that was again, you know, one, one of the catalysts for writing this. Um, there were two separate cheating scandals 
at the Air Force and West Point, and hundreds of cadets were cheating on some finals because it was COVID, and I guess people had to take them at home. And hundreds were disciplined, a, a few resigned, and 30 were expelled. But there were more than an estimated 1,100 sexual assaults during one, ac- one academic year at the academy. And it was like 11. There was less than 20 cadets who faced any consequences, whether it was a court martial, a separation, or a, um, some sort of, you know, reprimand. And as I mentioned a couple of times, there were 4,000, almost 4,000 um, cadets and midshipmen who were the targets of sexual harassment. And I can't find any evidence that there was a single formal reprimand of any of those perpetrators. So you are significantly more likely to receive court-martial and be kicked out of the academy for cheating than you are for committing sexual harassment. In fact, I think I would argue also more likely to be kicked out for cheating than you would be for committing sexual assault. Yeah, that is, I mean, staggering. Well, it, it hurts when they talk about, you know, that zero tolerance. Yeah. Like, well, clearly there's zero tolerance for cheating. Not really sure there's zero tolerance for harassment. Yeah, absolutely. So is there like a, a glimmer of, of light at the end of this tunnel? What is the way forward? What were, would your specific policy recommendations or just general recommendations be for kind of uh, improving the prevention of, of harassment and, and eventually assault? And, and what is the way forward for DOD? You know, to give the military credit, when all of the you know, when tailhook was happening, the rise of women in the military, tailhook broke just two weeks after the news about Anita Hill and her allegations against Clarence Thomas during the confirmation hearings. So the military was trying to actually do something good, but it's been almost 30 years and it doesn't work. And I'm kind of like, well, Occam's Racer would say if your policy hasn't worked in 30 years, maybe it's time to try something else, right? But it's not even just Occam's Razor. We have actual evidence that it doesn't work. And so the lowest level approach really and informal resolution really came into being say, 1988 to 1994 was really the sort of working it out on a policy level and accepting it. Don't ask, don't tell was created, lauded as a huge achievement, castigated, criticized, and then killed within the window of the same way to respond to sexual harassment, racial discrimination, religious discrimination, gender discrimination. And we haven't even reviewed that policy. And isn't it time to say that maybe now that we've had 30 years, maybe it's time for a new approach? First, we have to get rid of the lowest level policy. And I'm not saying people need to be hysterical and, you know, every random joke or the fact that someone asked someone out and they weren't interested. I I don't want every one of those things to be litigated in some full investigation. That's ridiculous. And in fact, actually, I'm just going to, you know, on my way out, I'll be a little controversial. I'm not actually in favor of zero tolerance policies because the truth is, There's no such thing as zero tolerance. And I would like an 18 or 19-year-old who's just checked into boot camp to be able to make a mistake, make a dumb joke, and then be told, hey, buddy, we don't do that here. 
And if they tra- if they correct their behavior and they have another 20-year career as a sterling service member, I-, I think that was great. You know, we should give young people the benefit of the doubt that they screwed up. Um, I mean, obviously, if it's a severe offense, then you don't necessarily need to. But if it's a small thing, then, you know, and we can correct it, then we should. Um, I am much less for understanding and forgiving of the the E5 or the E7 or the the senior master chief who's been in for 15 or 20 years and they're perpetuating sexual harassment and everybody knows it, but nobody does anything, right? Because lowest level. So what I think we need to do is get rid of the lowest level and have a new requirement that commanders just take you know, the incident seriously and respond accordingly. If someone says, hey, he keeps making, you know, stupid jokes, okay, well, let's let's tell him to stop making stupid jokes. If it's a more persistent pattern of practice, then we need to, you know, address that more appropriately. And we need to remember that, you know, the Navy and the Marines already have that you can be have an immediate administrative separation for committing sexual assault, at least forms of it. Uh, as required, and commanders should know that they can, in a discretionary way, do that. I, I would like to actually start seeing commanders being held accountable. If a commander knows that sexual harassment is persisting under their watch, I think that's under conduct unbecoming. Because they're not enforcing general orders that are unlawful orders. I would like to hold those people accountable if they know that malfeasance is happening and they're actually protecting the the wrongdoers. Malfe- the so to start, though, we need to get rid of the lowest level policy and just, resp- you know, something cleaner in terms of respond appropriately. I- again, Brian Blackmore suggested language like that uh, back in 2014. So this is not a, you know, a decade ago we could have done this. Um, and I absolutely think if for some reason the military doesn't want to do that, then we have to at least do that at all of the academies. Um, and then when I'm saying all that includes military, um, the merchant Marines and Coast Guard, uh, because they've definitely been having some serious problems. And the reason to do that is twofold. One is if there are commanders who genuinely, and I do believe that the vast majority of commanders genuinely care about the people under their command, they can't do anything if they don't know about it. Right. So the lowest level policy literally says, don't tell your boss, don't tell your commander. Right. I mean, there's some, depending on the service nuance in terms of, you know, reporting and stuff like that. But again, the the basic premise is don't report informal. We only want to do informal and informal means no paper trail, ideally. And, um, but I can't make it better if I don't know about it. Right. So loosening up those abilities and we may need to revise some of the mandatory reporting laws to to accommodate this um, because you don't necessarily want to, again, over litigate things and make these worse for the target. But having some ability to respond appropriately rather than this active presumption, it's just a human relations issue is just not sustainable at this point. It never worked. In 1993, the, the Navy uh, found that some people successfully were able to confront their harassers, but the majority did not, and they hid. That was the answer. They hid from their offenders. So we have to just knock that policy off, and we certainly have to do that, if nowhere else, but the academies. We shouldn't have 18 and 19-year-olds feel that it is a 
incumbent upon them to decide what mis- sexual misconduct is. That it's on them to decide when it's something so serious that they need to report it. That's just crazy. And to me, my heart broke. I literally had tears welling up in my eyes as I read the Annapolis current instruction, which says, you know, and, and it, you know, it's two pages. Well, you're supposed to do sexual harassment and racial and gender interaction, all of that. Um, resolve that at the lowest level. If you can't resolve that between yourself, then, you know, ask one of your classmates. If you can't do that, then ask one of the chain of command of your classmates or maybe a senior enlisted. And there's this huge protocol of like 10 different steps of all of the different people. If you can't get that person to do this and, and formal report to leadership is at the bottom, <laughs> right? Yeah. The absolute last resort. And if you hadn't understood completely on the next page, it says alternatives. And the alternative says, although the policy is to resolve incidents of discrimination and harassment at the lowest level, if you need additional resources, the following 800 number confidential numbers are available. Wow. And the 800, it's literally an 800 number. It, one of them is the IG number. One of them is an 800 number for advice on if you've been sexually harassed or sexually assaulted, what to do. They can't even take a report by law. That phone number is only an advice line. So teenagers are being told, well, there is an 800 you know, confidential advice line, but you really don't need to take it because you know the right answer. You're supposed to resolve this. And that's just got to stop. And research, actually, there was a new study in personnel psychology, which looked at people who were working in, in, in industries that were considered, you know, high in likelihood of having sexual harassment, because um, there, you know, other studies have shown spheres where it's more likely to occur. And they found that, and they gave them anecdotes of blatant sexual harassment. And when I'm talking about, I'm talking about literally like the story is a boss said, you have to have sex with me unless you're, or I'm going to fire you. And then they said, was that sexual harassment or not? And people who were higher working in high sexual harassment environments did not think that these blatant incidents constitute sexual harassment. They said, no, that's not that bad because they were so used to it. So they actually found that once you had left this environment of sexual harassment and you went to a new industry or a new consequence, you didn't reassess what was appropriate conduct. You still took that early sort of uh, blindness, that was the actual term the researchers used, to the new environment. And they thought, and this was projection on their part, but they believed that this blindness to sexual harassment from one early career experience would persist for the entire career. So now you think about those 18 and 19 year old midshipmen and cadets who are being told it's not that big a deal, handle it on your own, tell a buddy, and maybe if you're afraid. In the term in the 90s, everyone said was if you reported it, you're a crybaby. So grow up. Don't deal with it. Don't report it. It's going to look bad on your career. And then we send them to the rest of the world to be the leaders who are going to be getting those complaints. 
Well, what are they going to say? You should take care of it on your own. I took care of mine on my own. I know it's really hard, but it's your responsibility. Come back when you've been assaulted. And we wonder why this isn't getting better. And again, this is not new. I mean, we've got about 10 years of focus groups at the academy saying the lowest level was impacting people's ability to, and the researchers actually even said, we're worried that you can't even, that some of the cadets can't even perceive the danger because in their mind, they sort of had come up with their own rule, which is if it's dangerous, I have to tell somebody. But if it's not dangerous, I don't have to tell anybody. Lowest level, that's where I want to be. So they were just discounting the danger, even when they were physically at risk, because to admit they were in danger meant they had to tell somebody. So we have to at least start by getting rid of this policy at the academies. But you know, to say that it troubles me because I also know there are teenagers over at boot camp who are in the same problem and having the same difficulty. And I don't want to leave them in the cold either. So I think the policy needs to go and we need to just have it simply be respond accordingly. And we can still even leave in place, you know, asking the target, you know, how would you like me to handle this? It's fine to solicit their opinion, but the goal, you know, what it shouldn't make you a good commander to say you need to resolve this at the lowest level. And there's, I mean, the Coast Guard Civil Rights Manual actually says that leaders promoting the lowest level resolution is one of the most important tools in the commander's toolkit right up there with organizational harmony. And and that mentality has to go. I think that's a fantastic way to end. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed the conversation and definitely learned a lot. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor to discuss this, which I really think will change lives. So I'm really grateful that you had me. Thanks. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. You can get ad-free versions of this and other Lawfare Podcasts by becoming a Lawfare Material supporter at patreon.com lawfare. You'll also get access to special events and other content available only to our supporters. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for our other podcasts, including Rational Security, Chatter, Allies, and The Aftermath. Our latest Lawfare Presents podcast series on the government's response to January 6th. Check out our written work at lawfareblog.com. The podcast is edited by Jen Patya Howell, and your audio engineer this episode was Kara Schillen of Goat Rodeo. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. And as always, thank you for listening. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.